in this episode of the Talent Cast. You know, I'm going to put my foot in it. I can almost guarantee it. I almost can guarantee it. I haven't even recorded the thing yet. I don't even know what I'm going to say necessarily, but I know I'm about to be dumb. And that's always the fun part of this podcast, right? You know, like one every three or four or maybe every episode, I'm going to say something just totally, oh, a little cringeworthy and stupid. (laughs) The opportunity is ripe here. Hold on. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the podcast dedicated to helping you get smarter at recruiting and hiring. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of employer brand and modern recruiting so that you, yes you, can hire better talent. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? I'm your host, James Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at The War for Talent. That's at The War for Talent. Or on the Talent Cast website. Got a question? Got a topic? Got an idea? Tweet me. I'd love to hear from you. Ready to roll up your sleeves and think big? Great. Let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, okay, so housekeeping. If Let's see. If, if I'm recording this, today it's Friday, you know, for whatever reason. I'm publishing it on Monday. The day after I publish this, I will be in Atlanta. So if you're in Atlanta for the uh, Social Recruiting uh, Summit, come find me. Uh, some other smart people are going to be there. Not I say other smart people. That makes me one of the smart people, and I am loath to say that because I am making it up as I go along, much like many of you are. Um, but lots of smart people will be there. Also me. I'm going to be there for two days. So come find me. Say hello. I'm going to talk about employee advocacy. If that's a thing you want to hear about, I'm your guy, apparently. Otherwise, um, yeah, Erie's around the corner. I got stuff coming on, you know, show note stuff. If you are interested in going to the best employer brand practitioner focused event, I wouldn't even call it a conference. I think calling it a conference does it a disservice here. Uh, event, you, educational opportunity. And now I'm, the words are just getting mumbly. Uh, Talent Brand Summit in Austin in March is a go-to. It's a must-have. Apps have got to do the thing. Um, not only will lots of great smart people be there, so will I, and hopefully so will you. Um, the best part is I can get you a discount because I'm on the board and that's a thing. Uh, if, you know, just ping me on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, like many of other people have, and those of you who have, I hope you're registering with it. Hope it's valuable. It's a $200 off kind of discount code. Um, FYI, there are, lot, there are some, uh, it, it's a great conference. If you want to ask me questions about why you should go and why you should spend your or your company's money, let me know. I'm happy to answer questions. There are lots of other people on the board who are happy to answer questions. If you, uh, it's not, there are 75 people the last one, and I think they would all tell you similar stories. So feel free to ask me or ask one of them. It's a heck of a show. So ping me if you want the discount code. Okay, let's talk about recruiters. <laughs> Oh man, I'm terrified. Um, look, we let's just go ahead and put the groundwork down. Recruiters are crucial to what we as employer brand professionals, if you are one of us, do. If you're a recruiter, hopefully you're listening because you see some value or you're, hopefully you're not sharpening your knives and waiting for me to step in it and then you just tweet the hell out of me and tell me what an idiot I am. Trust me, I already know what an idiot I am. I do. Um, but recruiters are the foot soldiers of hiring, right? They do the grunt work and the hard work and the heavy lifting that employer branding people don't do, right? Sourcers, recruiters, however you want to splice and dice it, they're the ones picking up the phone. They're the ones sending the in-mails out. They are the ones who are putting their butt on the line day in, day out, getting rejected on a regular basis. 
employer brand people, we have our frustrations and we have our good days and bad days, but getting rejected a dozen times a day, not part of it. It is a different world over there. And I take my hat off if I wore hats because my head's too big. I really don't. Um, it's physically, not emotionally, but that's a separate conversation. Uh, I, yeah, I tip my hat. I take my hat off to them. Recruiters put themselves in a position where they are rejected over and over again, and it is a tough, tough gig. On top of which, they're there to kind of facilitate the conversation about why this company, why this opportunity, and what they should be looking for, and what the company's trying to achieve and how to do that. They're the brand ambassadors. Their job is to be ambassadors of your company to people who should want to spend a lot of time being there. That is a tough gig. And frankly, all the great work that you and I and those like us do would pretty much be crap without the recruiters who embrace it and who say, who want, you know, whether they push them back and saying, hey, this doesn't quite work or I don't see how this makes sense or look, I've been doing this and nothing seems to be changing or the ones who just will do anything you say and love the new ideas and, and even those, and this is probably who we're going to talk about, the ones who are just unwilling to change. Without them, we simply would not exist. We, we, we cannot do our job. All the branding in the world is of zero value without someone to close the deal. Because employer brand does a lot of great stuff. Closing a deal is not what we do. We help, we support, we facilitate, we, you know, what's the joke? Um, I think it was, I can't remember what the joke is, but it's a military joke, which is stupid. Not that I know anything about the military, but, um, you know, yes, there's an air war and the air war is super helpful, but in the end, it's troops on the ground that win the battles, right? And employer brand is kind of that air war. We're up there, we're dropping bombs, we're cleaning up the space, we're trying to clear the path to make the job of the recruiter easier and better and more efficient, but in the end, they still got to do that job. No, no matter how good we are, you still need recruiters. And I don't care if it's a can't live with them, can't live without them kind of my mentality you may have about them. And some days they make me crazy, but man, you got to learn how to work with them. And you got to learn how to get the most out of them so that they can get the most out of you. And you can find that way to work together where you're both doing amazing things. So that's what we're going to talk about. He says five and a half minutes into the podcast, we're going to talk about how to talk to those recruiters who simply don't want to play ball. They don't. They look at you and they go, what do you know? Um, and I don't know if this is specific to my experience, but I noticed that for whatever reason, recruiters seem to take very much a, unless you've walked a mile in my shoes, you just don't know what this job is like. And therefore, maybe you can't tell me nothing, right? There's certain jobs that that's pretty common uh, or that, you know, that happens. No, everyone should spend time in a customer service job or a waitress, waiter waitressing job or, you know, one of those jobs where you are treated like dirt and are expected to just be the cog. I think it's humanizing. I think everybody's first job should be horrible. It should be you being treated like dirt for a while because frankly, we all need to be a little more human uh, now and then. And I, it's good to have that experience. And frank, and you know, to be fair, if you've been a waiter or waitress, you treat waiters and waitresses so much better. You're a better human being for it. Um, you tip better, you're kinder, you're, you might better understand the process. Unlike those of us who've never been waiters and waitresses who just go, where's my damn food? Recruiters are the same kind of mentality. And I, that's maybe it's just my experience, but I think recruiters do understand that you know, they do have that mentality of unless you've done my job, unless you've been rejected a dozen times in a day, unless you've felt the pain and the heartbreak of carrying this unicorn candidate through 
the process, the gamut, the obstacle course, the gauntlet of interviews and consideration and process only to have it fall apart at the last minute because the hiring manager changed their mind or the hiring manager changed the scope or the candidate just got a better job last minute. You, that heartbreak, the pain, until you've been there, you can't know it. And I get that. But we can't let the fact that I've never been a recruiter keep me from doing my job. And I don't want you to let the fact that you may have never been a recruiter keep you from doing great work to help that recruiter. So how do you change a recruiter's mind? If you are in a model where your recruiter kind of looks at you like, what the hell are you doing? And what the hell is the value of you? And you know, and you, it, it's dialing for dollars. You got to get on that phone. You got to get on that LinkedIn. You got to get on that recruiter seat. And you got to make stuff happen. I get it. But you still have to do your job. So let's talk about how do you change recruiters' minds. And this came up in a forum, uh, you know, I, I belong to, where someone says, "How do you get recruiters on your side?" And it's a tough model. I, having done this myself, it is a tough, long slog of a process. Recruiters, by virtue of who they are, by their industry, they haven't really changed all that much in the last 40, 50, 60 years, right? Uh, I, I've joked. And I, I credit Brad Ferris uh, over at Breaking Down Your Business for for help for for coining this or saying this and, and bringing my attention to it. Recruiting hasn't fundamentally changed in a very long time, with the exception of Google and the exception of digital. It's the same. It's putting jobs out there. It's calling people up. Are you interested in a job? It's evaluating candidates based on who applies. It's shepherding them through that HR interview process, putting the offer in front of them, and getting it done, right? The job of a recruiter hasn't changed that much. Everybody else's job may have changed a great deal with technology. Recruiting, not so much. You know, the fact that you're posting it on Craigslist or posting it on Indeed or posting it on a job board is not that much different than calling up the newspaper and having them post that job on the Sunday, on the Sunday job pages, right? That It's not that different. Put the job out there and then do the work, right? That's the job of a recruiter. So they might look at you and say, wait, you want me to tweet? Wait, you want me to share stuff on social media? That's my Facebook account. Why would I do that? Wait, you want me to go through the effort of building content and sharing content and developing networks on LinkedIn of people who I'm never ever gonna hire, who for whom I will never ever have a role? Why would I do that? And it's a process of changing recruiter mentality from that of a hunter-gatherer to a farmer, right? Think back historically, and I mean really historically, way past Napoleon, way past uh, Stonehenge, right? Way, 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 way past. We're talking back when we were barely non-Cro-Magnon. We were Cro-human. I don't know. I'm not a, not a archaeologist, whatever. Um, you know, we went from that model where we did nothing but look for the food, and we pulled the berries, and we pulled the fruit, we pulled the the, the root vegetables out of the ground, and occasionally we go find a boar or a tiger, whatever, and we would hunt it down. And you know, as human beings, we got to be smart. And we got to say, let's do it as a team, and maybe we can out. You know, the fact that we're not nearly as big as that there saber-toothed tiger or woolly mammoth or whatever, um, we can we can defeat it through teamwork. The thing that we have special is that we got the thumbs and we got the brain, right? And with the brain, we can use teamwork work in a different way uh, than a boar might, uh, and frankly, and we can build some tools. And that's great. And for a long time, that was fine, right? We were able to 
find enough food to sustain us and to sustain our family. Sure, we had to rove around following the herd of animals and looking for food, and sometimes it was meager. In a drought, it was tough. We didn't manufacture the food. We had to hope the food showed up. If we had, there was no food by us, we had to move in a direction and hope wherever we went, there was food, right? That's hunter-gather mentality, which as a recruiter, you might go, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You are a hunter-gatherer model. Your job is to put stuff out there and hopefully, you know, as a team, as an individual, you can track down talent. Some days it's 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 thin pickings. Some days it's heavy, you know, it's easy to find people. Um, some days you get the feast and some days you get the famine. And that's just how it is. Now, when you're a recruiter and when you're, you know, thinking on that mentality, the goal is to next meal, next meal, next meal. Next rec, next rec, next rec. Everything is transactional. I have a job. I got to put a butt in a seat. So my job is to find as many butts to put in as many seats as possible. And if I do that a bunch, somebody's going to give me a raise. That's the current methodology and model of most in-house corporate recruiting today. Yes, there are plenty of exceptions, but not a lot of exceptions. They do not. They are not the majority. That is the majority. Go dialing for dollars, butts in seats, LinkedIn recruiter seats, spamming people on InMail. Uh, that is standard practice for recruiters, right? It's hunter gatherer. Now think back to the days in which we were hunger, hunger, hunter gatherers, and not you specifically, obviously, because you're not that old. I hope we had to shift. There were problems. There were issues. We were hunting for food. The food did not appear. We went looking and gathering. The food wasn't there. There was a drought. We were in the wrong place. There was the wrong season. Whatever it was, we didn't do a great job uh, storing food. There's no refrigeration, obviously, and we couldn't. You know, we didn't have the chemicals to kind of treat food. We I don't know when we started smoking food to keep it going longer, but or dehydrating food. But frankly, you're living on the plains. Or you're living in a cave. Whatever. You don't have a lot of technology. What you have are spears. What you have or maybe some pots so maybe you can ferment some stuff and have your the the you know food last a little longer but really it's about what's available your your entire horizon is your future if there is nothing on the horizon you're in trouble if there's something on the horizon go get it and eat it you're gonna be fine that's a lot of how recruiting works now at some point some smart for Cro-Magnon I guess uh, people said you know it's funny the food just shows up the food is just there could we make that happen? Could we take a potato, in whatever capacity a potato existed this long ago, I don't know, and put it in the ground, and if we did that, would it grow more potatoes? And I'm sure there was lots of experimentation, and I'm sure there was mostly failure. But at some point, you figure out that if you take corn, and you put it in the ground, and you give it enough water, and you don't put too much stuff around it, corn shows up, right? At some point, you domesticate the animal, and you say, we're going to take the boar or the, the know, oxen, and we're going to strap something to it and grind up the dirt a bit so you can plant more corn. And suddenly, you're in a farming mentality, meaning you have a lot more agency and control over what food will be available. Yes, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to plant the seeds. It is a lot of work to clear the land. It is a lot of work to make sure there's water there. Irrigation, what's that? Let me explain. It is a lot of work to make crops happen. And frankly, you have to be in a position to, once the crops happen and you harvest, to store the food so that come next spring, when you're still watching the shoots the green shoots pop out of the ground and you're like, man, I'm hungry, but I can't eat shoots. Where's the food? You got to eat last year's food. 
This is a very different model. Notice that when you plant food in the ground and hope that it grows, you can't go around. You can't walk away. You can't go hunting. You can't say, well, there's food over beyond that hill. I'm going to go beyond that hill to find it. No, you planted food. Stay here. Do the work of protecting the food and keep it from getting stomped on and clearing the weeds and make sure it gets some water, right? You've got to do the work and the investing here. Now, that first year has got to be rough, right? Your first year that you've decided you're just going to plant, and I imagine it's not quite that simplistic. They didn't suddenly flip a switch and say, uh, you know, Thog, the Cro-Magnon dude, who was normally the hunter-gatherer type, says, okay, everybody, okay, gather up. Here's the deal. What we're going to do, staff meeting, everyone, uh, we're going to stop with the clubs and the arrows, and we're going to focus on taking food and putting it in the ground and waiting a year and then eating it. How's that sound? Great? Cool. That's what we're going to do. All right, good staff meeting, everybody. There'll be a pulse survey later to see how this went. Um, Probably not so much like that. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I'm not drunk, folks. I haven't feel like I haven't said I'm not drunk in a while, but man, I feel the need for some reason. I imagine it was a process. I imagine it was a process where one of the heartmers and gatherers said, look, everybody likes corn or potatoes or turnips or whatever. Um, I'm going to focus on this. And in exchange, I want a small fraction of what the tribe or the group hunts and gathers. Just bring me enough to keep me alive. And in return, if this thing pans out, I will share it with you. Let's see how this works. And for, you know, probably again, bunch of failures, but one year it worked and there was enough food to repay in effect, the people who shared their food, their hunt, their gathering with that farmer. And slowly but surely year over year, more people said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to hunt. I'm going to farm over time because they relied on the people who are out there far out there gathering and, and hunting to bring some of that back so that they could cover while they grew their plant their fields now historically and what we know to be true is that it is far more efficient to farm than to hunt that is a human being or a group of human beings the same group of human beings can produce and create more food via farming and more calories and more nutrition via farming than they can hunting and gathering. And what happens is when you have an abundance of nutrition, you get to make more babies, right? You get to grow your tribe. You get to have some time off. You get to not worry about every single day needing food. You get some slack time. Now, there's studies that talk about how hunters and gatherers actually had plenty of leisure time too, that what they do is what they were doing was conserving energy what they were doing it was a feast or famine kind of model so that when the hunt happened and they brought down the boar they would all eat for a couple of days and they would hang out and, and just chill and enjoy the food and then the next day they would okay time to go looking for food we're running out of food time to go get more food it was very much a, a spiky you know if you if you drew it in a, in a graph type of format it was spiky whereas farming was repetitive yes but you could count on it with the exception of the occasional drought and frankly, there's reason to think that the entire Egyptian culture existed and thrived to the point of making those pyramidy things, which you know people still think are aliens, not aliens, uh, because of the flood of the uh, the Nile. I almost blanked on what the river in the Egypt was. I mean, how again? Not always that smart. 
it flooded loam and provided more nutrients for the set for the ground around it and that was what was able to ensure that the ground for farmers was perpetually valuable and useful and, and made, able to make crops and because of that gold and uh, sarcophagi made of gold and, and amazing statues that are bigger than my building and all that good stuff that happens because there was farming that they had enough nutrition to go do other stuff other than subsistence living back to recruiting you live at a subsistence living model. You, you, are, you are barely eking out a life. Those of you with 10, 20, 30, dare I say 40 wrecks sitting in your back pocket, you got to fill. You are a subsistence level living. You exist to put the wreck. And the second you fill a wreck, guess what? There's a new wreck coming. There's a new wreck. You got to fill it. Go, 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 go. So far, so good. Fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. It's a spiky existence. If there's, if it's Christmas, if it's holiday season, no one's answering your emails, and you're gonna go hungry, right? In a farming model, oh gosh, what would that look like in recruiting? Model? That's employer brand thinking. It is. How do you develop audiences? How do you get people who want to work for you? How do you get the inbound traffic to be such that you can you can pick and choose a little more choosily and selectively? You are not focusing on as a recruiter subsistence living and just finding the next wreck. You're confident that you know that when a wreck pops up, you've got people who want to work for you to do that job. You don't look at each and every wreck going, well, I'll fill that in about three months because that's my average and that's how long it takes. That's what I'll do. But instead, what if you're a company where people were actively looking at jobs? What if you were a company or a recruiter that built networks of people you could go to immediately? This is what headhunters do. This is what outside recruiters do a lot of. They build good networks. They don't say, okay, I need an ad buyer. I'm going to go put ad posts out and hopefully an ad buyer shows up. What they say is, I know 10 ad buyers and some of them are fantastic. Let me go see if any of them want that job. Because if 10% of them, 20% of those recs get filled that fast, you have a lot more time on the ones you have to go work for. If some of your time is focused on farming and you can fill some of those roles because of the farming process, that allows you more time to do the hunting and you can do better hunting. Does that make sense? So you've got to change a recruiter's mind. You've got to get them to say, look, you are a hunter-gatherer and I get how you got there and the model makes sense, but you've got to go be a farmer. So how do you make that happen? Big old metaphors about Cro-Magnon men or women not aside, how do you really make that happen? How does that manifest itself in day-to-day -day activity? Well, you got to start small. It's just, you know, it's, it's not too, too much of a, you know, a leap. It's, I'm not inventing the rocket here. Um, you got to start small and you got to give them something and you got to understand that they are, if not suspicious, they're skeptical. Right? Recruiters, because their job has effectively been the same for a very, very long time, they've seen lots of fads. They've seen stuff come and go. They've seen stuff and like, oh yeah, it's a big thing. No, it's not. Right? There's plenty of stuff that didn't quite pan out. 
and they've seen it and they wonder, is this thing a fad or is this going to be real? And they can't know. And they're incentivized to not do that because their job is based on how many butts can I put in a seat. So if what you're asking them to do, whether it's referral programs or glass door programs or social recruiting or whatever your particular campaign of the moment is, if it does not lead to direct butts in seats, and frankly, what we do should not be, right? If, if, if your social recruiting is go ahead and share more jobs on Facebook, stop. Don't do that. That there no no one's on Facebook looking for jobs. So if you show someone looking for someone on Facebook a job they don't want it, guess what? Waste of energy, and you've annoyed people. You've made your life harder down the road. So instead, you're going to do things like ask recruiters to share stories of people, or news, or white papers, or here here's a video of a conference we went to and we were amazing, and you should share this with people who want to who didn't go to the conference who need to see this. All that stuff is great stuff for you and me. For those of us who employ branders, we inherently understand the value of that request. To a recruiter, it doesn't put a button in a seat, so go away. <laughs> if it doesn't directly impact their ability to put a button in a seat, go away. You're annoying me. So your job is to start slow, and that means showing off a little bit of the strategy, not all of it, you don't need to educate them on everything you do, but show off. Look, here's the play. If you spend 10 minutes every week, and gosh, that sounds like a small ask. I know you're busy, every recruiter's busy, every recruiter's insanely busy, but 10 minutes a week to just share some stuff on social. Now, most of us might say that's enough. Just do the thing and that's, a and that's fine. But here's the problem. Recruiters will at look at that and say, yeah, everybody and their brother wants 10 minutes of my time. Every hiring manager, every candidate, every leader, every, every, everybody wants 10 minutes of my time. I got to pick and choose. I got to be judicious about my 10 minutes at a time kind of thing. Otherwise, I just get swamped and never get anything done. And again, I want my bonus and I want my raise, so I need to get this stuff done. So what you have to do is say, here is the small thing I'm looking, asking for you to do, this 10 minutes a week. Here's why, okay? We want to share stories so that when they see your logo, when you go and look for people, and when you are in LinkedIn, and when you're on recruiting seat, and you're in mailing, and you're calling people, and they see that logo, or they see that company name pop up on their phone, they don't immediately go, who? I, I, I'm busy, I'm too busy. I'm not going to pick up that call. I'm not going to answer that call. I'm not going to answer that email. If you can say that by sharing this story with people before you call them, before you email them, it increases the likelihood that they respond, suddenly you're having a different conversation. Now, you may not have the data to say that exactly. Don't let that stop you. A simple argument should be fine. Because again, you're not asking them to spend two days doing this thing. You're asking them for 10 minutes. So the bar is relatively low. And you can show them via argument that, look, if you shared with me a great story about, my comp about this company and I got a chance to see it and I got a positive brand impression of that company and then that company calls me, am I more or less likely to answer that call? And every recruiter will go, okay, I can see the value of that. And start small, start judicious. Say, look, if you're only hiring for data scientists, I'm going to focus on getting you data scientist stories so that when you can share them with data scientists and they were more likely to answer your calls. And that recruiter will be like, okay, cool, I'm willing to try this. And you're in. This is the process. Focus on little victories. 
Uh, I'm sure I've told the story of Stone Soup here at some point. It's the miser. Uh, it's the the, uh, the, the, the the guy who doesn't want to spend any money and yet he wants everything and he's walking by the woman and she's – and I'm sorry. It's a woman. You know, it's, it's an old-timey story. And it, for, but men, by the way, unrelated, in my head, it's Scrooge McDuck because that is literally the Disney version I first heard of this story. Uh, so there you go. Now you know more about me. Um, so Scrooge McDuck uh, is, you know, smells the soup. I think it's Daisy Duck. Is that the the the, the woman duck? Uh, the not Donald. I guess it's Daisy. I don't know. Um, is making soup and, she, and, and Scrooge McDuck goes, "That smells delicious," but I don't want to spend money on it. He goes, "No." And Daisy's like, "No, no, no. It's all you need is a stone. It's easy." And, you, and Scrooge is like, "Oh, I, well, I can get a stone. No problem." He goes, "Okay, put the stone in the pot with the water. That's great. You know, this would be better if we had an onion." Oh. Oh, okay, Scrooge says. I'm going to go get an onion. I got one of those somewhere. It's just an onion, not a big deal. And you put the onion in, and then you say, yeah, it'd be great if we had a carrot too. It goes, oh, yeah, a carrot too. Okay, I think I have a carrot. And you slowly but surely eke it out to eventually, you're not asking someone to buy all these groceries to make soup. You're doing it dribs and drabs so that the pain is not so obvious, that it doesn't feel like a lot. You're focusing on the small wins. So once you get them to spend 10 minutes every, every week, to share those stories with their networks or to share the stories with candidates they know they're going to talk to. Now say, share it with all your networks and target them or respond to them or even follow them. Connect with them on LinkedIn just to connect, right? Build networks. Share that story about data scientists on data scientist groups or with other data scientists. Just start building name recognition in your space. You are someone who knows the space, is sharing information, and is a resource. You want to be seen as someone valuable, not as someone who takes value. You want to be seen as someone who gives, not takes. The problem, of course, is in the back, back of the mind of every recruiter is the idea of, I'm trying to give these idiots a job. Why won't they answer my phone call? Jesus, how hard is this? I Sorry, I swear in that particular case. Uh, that's a little more blasphemy than swearing, but whatever. We, why split hairs? Um, in a recruiter's mind, they think they're, they've got the greatest prize and they're just desperate to give it away. Why won't anyone take it, right? Uh, you know, all, <laughs> it's, it's, I have the job. People say they want the jobs. Why won't they just answer my call to take the job? And the answer is because there are a lot of recruiters and they're all reaching out. And how does that one person choose the recruiter? In the same way, if you flip the coin, how do you choose the person? It's complicated. You need to sell before you sell. You need to sell the company and then you need to sell yourself before you sell the opportunity. If I believe in the company and I believe in you, I'm more than willing to listen to your opportunity. If I don't know you or the company, I have lots of other things to do. The thing is, is the recruiter is incentivized to say, let's just skip to the opportunity. I want to get skip to the opportunity. So you kind of have to teach them a little bit how to sell that process. And it's tough because you're telling the salesperson how to sell, that always goes whole poorly, right? <laughs> Let me tell you how to do it. Let me tell you how to do your job. And that's when the recruiter goes, until you've walked a mile in my shoes, shut the hell up. So you've got to start small. So after you've asked for the five minutes a week, ask them to say, how do we get you into the networks of data scientists? And maybe this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I know it's so much easier, especially if you work in a big company, to have a meeting with all the recruiters and have them come up and you're just going to say, hey, everybody, here's the updates. We're doing this thing. You should go do this thing too. Cool, thanks, bye, and you leave. And they, they talk about you after you leave. And I know because that's happened to me. <laughs> it's happened to me multiple times. I can't tell you um, 
I, I will tell you half the story because too much is mean, but I literally rewrote all the job descriptions for somebody and they refused to use them. Not because they didn't like them, but because they simply said, I don't have time to use them. At that point, those of you listening are probably beating your head against the wall. We're so desperate for good job postings. It's such a pain in the butt to make them and for having someone just hand them to you and say, here they are, use them and not have them being used is insanity. Recruiters are busy and that's their, that's how they see themselves. They're busy people. They don't have time to try new things. They don't have tr- time. They have a tried and true and they're just going to process it out. So you have to say one-on-one, who are you trying to hire mostly? Oh, salespeople. Great. Oh, data scientists. Great. Oh, accountants. Great. Whatever. Let's go find three places where salespeople, customer service people, lawyers, accountants, data scientists, where do they hang out online? Let's go find them. Heck, let's start on LinkedIn. You love LinkedIn so much. Let's start to post there. Let's start to build a presence there. And again, I'm only asking for five minutes a week. Just take the story I give you and post it. Now, of course, in this model, you have to hand them the story and you have to do it every week and it's got to be like clockwork. But the more they get used to having a supply, and let's be fair, content is kind of like a drug that way. The more they get used to having a supply of content, the more they'll anticipate it and expect it and start to use it. Again, this is how you change their minds. Now, this will not happen immediately. This will not happen flipping the switch. They will not be able to say, you gave me the content, I posted the content, I got the hire faster, fantastic, you're the best, I love you. That will not happen. It will take time. You need to be have perseverance and dedication and say every week, here is your piece of content, here is what I'm asking from you, and every, one, every month or two, you add on one new thing. Small, 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 small. Perhaps the second thing you offer them is a freebie, is something that simply makes their life a little better. Now, your recruiters may be different from the recruiters I know, but most of the recruiters I know, they suffer from a problem where they are seen as the order taker, right? They show up, the hiring manager says, this is who I'm looking for, go get it for me. And again, this goes back to waiters and waitresses, right? You just show up, they, the hiring manager looks at a, at, a, at a menu that only they can see and they say, ah, I want a data scientist who also knows plumbing, go get them. And you're like, uh, okay. Now, if you're an order taker, the only response to that is, uh, okay. But if you're not an order taker, what if you're a peer? What if you're seen as someone who has strategic knowledge in this relationship? You're not just there to go find the person they describe, but to say, yeah, that's going to be impossible. If you want a plumber, we can find you a plumber, and this is what a plumber costs. And if you want a data scientist, we can find you a data scientist. This is what they cost. And if you want them both, if you do the math, you can see exactly what that costs. Now, what else can we do? Why do you need the plumbing? Why do you need the data scientists? What are they going to do? What are the projects they're going to work on? What sort of things are going to make someone attracted to this job? Okay, that's interesting. This is a, yeah, you asked for a plumber because you happen to have an open rack and you also happen to have a plumbing issue, so you figure you just glue the things together. Yeah, that's not going to work. We should probably find you a contract plumber to solve your plumbing issue, and let's focus on the data scientist thing. As an order taker, you can't have that conversation. <laughs> you can't because you're just there to take the order and get the hell out of my way. But if you can help the recruiter be seen as a peer and not as an order taker, well, suddenly, you are valuable the recruiter. So the first thing I recommend you do 
is come to the recruiter and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. Stop scheduling intake meetings. Start scheduling talent strategy meetings and just change the title. Just see if they behave differently. Hey, when you go in, I want you to come with a checklist. And here's, by the way, is the checklist of the process of hiring. And I know this because as a good employer branding person, I know the process that we use to hire people and all the different touch points along the way. And I'm taking my knowledge and I'm giving it to you. Here's the checkpoint. Here's the, the, the process. Here's everything that happens. Hey, it's got to go through HRBPs. It's got to go through Comp and Ben. The rec has to get approved. It's got to go to the ATS. It's got to get posted live. It's got to get promoted. It's got to, got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And I built it as a checklist. And when you walk into that strategy meeting, not an intake meeting, and you have a checklist and you told me this is a strategy meeting and you're not here to take the order, you're here to help me understand and make decisions, suddenly the recruiter's in a very different footing. It's a, you're at a peer model. This costs you almost nothing in terms of time. It costs the recruiter literally nothing. They can't say they're too busy for this. And suddenly you've helped them out. The process of changing a recruiter's mind is slow and it starts by doing exactly what it's, it's an eating your own dog food kind of model. If we think the value of employer brand is giving something valuable to ask for their attention, teach recruiters to do that too and do that to recruiters. Give them something of value, then you can ask for their attention. Over time, and I mean a year, a friend of mine has a great presentation about how she built an employer brand in 100 days and it's a fantastic it's a fantastic presentation about how they built an employer brand in 100 days but it doesn't talk about it makes it sound like at the end of at day 101 she was done and she sat around now obviously that's not true she had to get employers and recruiters to embrace it and to use it and to leverage it to touch it to push back on the things that weren't working and to adjust it and have it evolve over time and when we talk about employer branding, we think it's a thing that's a one-time only. And that's how recruiters, and you and I know that that's not true. And even the person who does the uh, 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 employer brand in 100 days, even she knows that's not true. But she's making a very, a, a having a different conversation. It's about how do you create it, not how do you grow it and live it. It's about how do you create it. And doing it in 100 days is impressive damn feat, no question. But for the recruiters, it's not about the creation, it's about the living. And so you have to be there day after day after day after day. They have to know that you're not a fad. They have to know that you're there to put the work in. They have to know that you're part of the team and that they can come to you. One of the things I think that made me successful where I was at Groupon was the idea that if a recruiter ever turned to me and said, James, can I have your help? I never said no. And sometimes it was they had a crazy question that I had no answer for. <laughs> Sometimes it was completely out of the blue. I had nothing for them. But a lot of times it was, can you help me write a better job posting? Now, the answer's got to be yes. Because if you can't show your value at that stage, because writing is not their ability. You may not even consider yourself a great writer, but you're probably a better writer than most recruiters, so you pitch in and help. This is how you change their minds. This is how you get them to see that you are part of that team, that you are on their side. Recruiters have no one on their side except them and maybe their boss. And let's be fair, half the time their boss has to capitulate to whatever the leadership or, ma or higher manager says anyway, so it doesn't always feel like that leadership is on their side. Be on their side.
help them out, give them what they ask for. And the more you do it, the more they're going to be willing to listen. The more you slow play it and give them teeny pieces, the more you say, here's here's a great conversation, and I will not name names, but I had a conversation about referrals, and everybody knows statistically the referral candidates are the best candidates. They stay longer. Uh, they're more valuable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the perception by individual recruiters was that referral candidates at this company were atrocious. They were small. They were a handful of them. And when they showed up, they sucked right? They said, look, it's always somebody has a brother and I got to go talk to him and that brother's an idiot. And it's just a total waste of time dealing with referral candidates. And when I come in and say, look, we need to augment some of the referral projects and, and get that funnel of that, that, that flow of candidates in that way, they looked at me like, you, James, James, you're not a recruiter. You don't understand. All of our referrals are idiots. So you go back to the data and you say, well, it turns out 15% of all your, your hires are, are referrals. So some of these idiots are getting through, or maybe maybe they're not idiots. Maybe they're not all idiots. Sure, you're remembering the ones that seem like wastes of time because you're frustrated, and I get that. But it turns out you're hiring plenty. I think there are a lot more candidates out there we could be reaching with a better referral project, and you are going to have to make your case, and you're going to have to adjust your strategy relative to the perception by the recruiters that people coming in as referrals are idiots. You're probably right and they might be wrong, but if you come in at that, at that position, you're going to fail. You've got to have a middle ground that says, look, let's do a little of mine and a little of yours. Let's find ways of saying. In the, so in this case, we talked about in the communication to employees, hey, bring us your best people, not whoever you know, not some stranger, not the person you bumped to in the grocery store who happens to know you work at this company would like to an introduction. It's not about that. Bring us your best. Bring us the people. And then language was, bring us the people you want to work with. And that was able to, just small changes like that, was able to say, hey, recruiter, I hear your pain points. I hear your problems. I hear your objections. I hear your concerns. I'm going to adjust my strategy accordingly because I trust that you know what you're talking about. Because they kind of do. Let's be fair. Recruiters really do know what they're talking about, even when the data doesn't always back it up. But that allowed you to say, I'm listening, and now they're more willing to listen to you. It's not rocket scientist. It's not, it's not hypnosis. You don't change people's minds via trickery. You change it slowly over time. And for those of you employer brand people who work with recruiters and you know you all have one, you all in your head, you're already thinking about that one recruiter who won't buy in. You can do it. You can work on them. But the goal is handholding, little at a time, focus on giving them value, and eventually they will turn around. Thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah, this is a long one. I didn't really expect to, to talk this much. So there you go. Uh, talk to you all next week. I hope you have a great week. Like I said, if you see me in Atlanta, come say hello. Don't be shy, please. Uh, otherwise, I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of The Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.